Open in your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter number 3 this evening. 1 John chapter number 3. I'm sandwiched in between good gospel singing and food. So I know my place. Amen. But uh, we want to be a help to you tonight. 1 John chapter number 3. And I want to read just two verses to you tonight and give you a few thoughts that I hope will help you. The Bible says in verse number 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know, underscore that in your Bible, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Notice verse 3, give extra emphasis to it. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I want to read that again. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the way that you've already worked in our hearts. Lord, all that you've done, I'd ask that you'd bless now your word as it's preached. Father, that it would speak to the hearts of your people. We get down to business with you, Lord. Be willing to meet with you and to submit to you. And we'll be sure to thank you for it. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, I pray that tonight would be the night that they'd find Calvary. We love you, Lord, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We've read tonight two of probably my favorite verses in all the Word of God. And I just want to give you three thoughts very quickly this evening. The Bible says in verse number 3, And every man that hath this hope... Now, what is this hope? Well, if you read the text carefully, you know that this hope is what we call the blessed hope. It's called the blessed hope of the soon coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, the truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ could come even tonight. Even tonight. In fact, let me go a step further and say, I hope that He comes even tonight. But the Bible says about this hope that every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And I want to preach to you tonight, and I've titled this message, A Hope That Purifies. Or if you want something a little bit more practical, you could call it the effect of the second coming on the life of the believer. Can I just be honest with you today? There's a lot of people say they believe Jesus is coming back, but if I read my Bible correctly, I'm not sure that they do. Because the Bible says that the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ has a life-changing effect on the life of the believer. I want us to notice three thoughts very quickly. I want you to notice, first off, the promise of His coming. I had you underscore this phrase, but notice it carefully. Uh, Verse 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Can I stop there a moment and just say, isn't that a wonderful thought? Beloved. He doesn't say everybody. Do you know why? Because everybody's not one of the sons of God. Uh, this doctrine of universalism is straight out of hell. We're all God's creatures, but we ain't all God's children. And I don't care what somebody may act like and look like and do like, if they've never put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're going to split hell wide open. John makes it clear. He says, Beloved. He says, I'm not talking about everybody, but I'm writing this to God's children. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Why, well, I'm thankful that it's not on a Pentecostal payment plan, aren't you? I'm thankful it's not up to me to earn it part of the way. Oh, I know some people say, well, preacher, I believe that Jesus died for my sins on Calvary and I believe I've got to put my faith in Him. But then if I don't try, well, that means that I'm not saved. I have a hard time with that because the Bible says that some people get so far from God and so backslidden that they become blinded and they forget that they were washed from their old sins. The Bible says they're still washed from their old sins. I'm thankful. You see, it's not up to me, so there's nothing I can do to undo it. I didn't earn it, so I can't lose it. 
I mean, if it was up to me, if I had earned it, maybe I could lose it. It sounds like a theological consequence, doesn't it? It could be the reason they think they can lose it is because they thought they earned it in the first place. The Bible teaches it's by the full, free pardon of Christ on Calvary that we are the sons of God. We don't have to wait. We're not waiting to become the sons of God. We're not sons in waiting. But, beloved, now are we the sons of God. But it speaks to the practicality of the matter, doesn't it? It says, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Can I'm thankful that, can I tell you that I'm thankful that who I am now is not who I'm going to be eternally? I'm thankful that the, the sorrows and the weaknesses and the fleshliness and the, and the carnality that we face now, that's not the reality of eternity. The Bible says that at that time the Lord will make all things new. In fact, He's known as that. He said, Behold, I make all things new. So there's a, tra- a change, a transition that's coming. But notice this next phrase. It says, And we know. You need to underscore that in your Bible. Because literally, you know what that's saying? That is the truth saying this is truth. Think about the, the power of that thought. That is the truth saying this is the truth. That's the truth saying this is this ain't something you've got to pray about. That's the truth saying this ain't something that, that is that you might interpret differently. This is the truth saying this is an absolute solid as the foundations of the world. In fact, even more so, this is a fact. This is a truth. Paul didn't say we hope. Paul didn't say we think. Paul said, and we know that when he shall appear, we have the promise of his second coming. It's a promise. It's more sure than anything. I mean, uh, you know, I understand we all keep our ear to the railroad tracks of uh, global politics. I understand that. But can I say to you, I don't know what's going to happen with Syria, but I know the Lord's coming back. I don't know what's going to happen with Iraq or Afghanistan. I don't know what's going to happen with Libya, but I know the Lord's coming back. I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. We, chances are, neighbor, we'll all be broke living in the same house before this thing's done. Somebody say amen. And I and I call shotgun on the shower in the mornings, right here and now. You mark her down and we've got it recorded. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know what's going to happen with the economy, but I know the Lord's coming back. I know that the Lord's coming back. I don't know that I'll always be true to Him, but I know He's coming back for me. I don't know that I'll never fail Him, but I know He's always uh, that He's always going to come back for me. I know that He's coming soon. The Bible teaches the second coming of Christ is imminent, meaning it could happen at any moment. That means literally that all of the things are ready and prepared for the Lord to come back even right now. You know what John said about it? He said, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It could happen at this moment. I hope it does. I hope it comes sooner rather than later. And let me say this. Do you know we're a day closer than we were yesterday? We're getting ever closer to the soon coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. People say there's nothing as sure in this world as death and tax. I know you heard this, Ralph, but I'm going to preach it to them anyway. There's nothing as sure as death and taxes. But, you know, we got about half the country that don't pay taxes. We okay? And I'm hoping cheat death. <laughs> I'm hoping cheat. I'm hoping death doesn't get a hold of me. I'm hoping that the Lord comes first. I don't know what's going to happen. The world's a superpower right now. I, I think we are weakening, weakening on an increasingly rapid pace. I think we're losing our respect in the global arena. But the, 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 the U.S. is still a superpower. There's no question about that. When I read my Bible, I don't find America anywhere in end-time Bible prophecy. I don't know what's going to happen. This country may be here one day and gone the next. Somebody might finally get fed up and be crazy enough to push the big red button that they got in locked rooms that send all the nuclear missiles out. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that no matter what else happens, the Lord will come back. He will come back. We see the promise of His second coming. We see the power of His second coming. And we know that when He shall appear, 
we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Paul wrote about it, and he said that uh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this corruptible shall put on incorruption. This mortal shall put on immortality. I don't know what you're facing tonight, but you're not facing anything that the second coming can't remedy if you're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what sorrow you may be facing. Truth of the matter is, most people's deepest pains are never born to the surface. Most people's deepest pains are never born to the surface. And you've got people sitting around you night church that are going through things you'd never imagine. But can I say it won't always be that way, Ralph? It won't always be that way. Some of you are sick and you're wondering which is going to come first. You're wondering whether it's going to be the graveyard or the Lord's coming. I don't know which will come first, but I promise you, one way or another, you will get the healing that the Lord has promised for you. One way or the other, He will transform and change you. The Bible says that when the second coming of Christ takes place, that we're given a glorified body. In fact, Paul spoke in the book of Philippians when he said that this vile body uh, will be exchanged, will be transformed, will be changed like unto His glorious body. The resurrection body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the model for our glorified body. Uh, it was a body that was not constrained by circumstances. It was not constrained by any means by sin. He had already paid for sin. It was not constrained by sorrow. It was not constrained by sickness. And I I don't know what you're going through, but I promise you when the Lord comes back, it's going to change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Whatever you're facing, the Lord's going to make all things new. You may be facing fear. You know, we all fear things, I suppose. Uh, some of us, you know, fear uh, snakes and some of us uh, fear darkness. Some of us fear spouses. You don't have to say amen to that either. Um, I, some of you fear spouses. But uh, the truth of the matter is, I guess we all have fears. Fear is a, is a thing that grips our very souls. It's really a fear of the unknown. Oh, we're afraid of what may happen. But I'm thankful that the Lord's already wrote the end of the book, Ralph. And I don't have to be afraid of that, because I know how it's going to turn out for me. And if you've been washed by the blood of Christ, I know how it's going to turn out for you. I know how it's going to turn out for you. I can't promise you won't have some heartaches along the way, but I know how it's going to turn out for you, We have the power of His second coming. It's a transforming thing. All the sin and sickness and disease, it's all done away with in the body of the believer whenever the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes. But I want to say just a quick word about the purifying of the second coming. The Bible says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Can I say that it ought to change you to believe in the second coming? In fact, I believe that was really the key. People have asked before, what was the difference in the apostles' church age and our church age? And I think anybody that's not blind and that owns a Bible would have to admit there's a difference. There's no question there's a difference. When you see the deep level of commitment that these men had, it's evident that we're Laodicean. We're Laodicean compared to them. When you see the power of God that was upon them, it's evident, neighbor, that we're playing with firecrackers when they had dynamite. I mean, when you see the trial and tribulation that they suffered, it's evident that we're on the playground, neighbor, and they were on the battlefield. What's the difference? What's the difference? Some people say, well, it had to do with the fact that they had walked with the Savior. Well, I don't believe that because Paul never walked with the Savior. 
We assume that he knew the Lord in his, uh, in his earthly ministry, uh, knew of him, but, but we have no record by any means of him ever walking and talking and spending time with the Lord in a bodily sense. Certainly not like the other disciples did, and yet Paul was really, he was a powerhouse, we might say. I mean, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, the Mount Everest of those men that walked the earth. So no, I don't think it was that. And we might say, well, you know, the Holy Ghost, He was just more present at that time. I don't buy that because Christ, when He spoke about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you know what He said? He will be with you forever. He didn't put an expiration date on the Holy Ghost. Lord can save people today like He saved people in the New Testament. In fact, He still does save people today like He saved them in the New Testament. So I don't think it was that the Holy Ghost was in fresher supply at that time. You might say, well, uh, you know, preacher, it's just getting so tough because the world is so wicked. You know, I don't buy that. I think the devil is the same old devil that he's always been. I think the world, while sin may be more prevalent, I think it's still just as wicked as it's always been. I know that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And I know that this, know that in the last days perilous times shall come. But check up on it, brother. They're writing about the church when they say that. They're not writing about the world. The world's always been perilous. The world's always been tumultuous. The world's always been wicked. And it's always been sinful. And darkness never kept a light from shining. If anything, we ought to be shining brighter. Now, I don't think it's that the world is so wicked and awful that we just can't live for Christ. Let me give you one simple thought. I think it's that we really have a hard time believing in the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Paul said when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica that you turn from idols to wait for the coming of the Son of God. He said, we wait for His appearing. Paul was looking for it. John was looking for it. Peter was looking for it. This know uh, that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. Peter was looking for it. These men lived with one simple truth, that today could be their last. Today could be their last. One simple truth that God could write finish on their life story at any moment. And could I put it simply when I say, if you're going to do something for Jesus Christ, you better get started because He's coming soon. How's the Lord going to find you when He finds you? Is He going to find you in the midst of worldliness and carnality? Is He going? Hey, listen, is He going to find you in the middle of a, of a silly carnal dispute with a fellow brother or sister in Christ? Is He going to find you in the throes of apathy and laziness, not even willing to do a thing for Jesus Christ? Is He going to find you in the midst of sin in your life and dark secrets that no one knows about? Is He going to find you absolutely undistinguishable from those in the world that live around you? Is that how He's going to find you? Or is He going to find you with faith, waiting and watching? How's He going to find you? Let me say that it ought to motivate us to live for Jesus Christ for a few reasons. One, because this could be our last opportunity to do it. Some of you have loved ones you've been praying for, and you've been praying God would send somebody to witness to them when God's waiting on you to go witness to them. And you've been waiting on someone else to take the gospel, and you've been praying someone else would send it. We've got telephones. I mean, there has never been a day when it ought to be more technologically easier to give the gospel out. I can pull my phone out of my pocket. I can, I can pick 16 different ways to communicate with someone. Some of you got smartphones. You know that's true. Amen. I mean, I can send them any kind of messages. I can even... Hey, but neighbor, when we got a lost loved one on their way to hell, let me tell you what a famous atheist said. A famous atheist said, if I believed what you believed, speaking to a believer, I'd crawl from the East Coast right out to California on cut glass to witness to my mother that's lost and on her way to hell. Most of us won't pick up the phone that God's blessed us with, that we wouldn't even have money enough to, to, to dial if it wasn't for God's blessing. We won't pick it up and dial it and talk to someone about Jesus Christ. This may be the last opportunity you get. 
Some of you may not get, listen carefully. Hey, you say, preacher, you're trying to scare me. No, I'm being truthful. I'm being truthful, and it ought to scare us. i got loved ones that need Christ. It ought to scare this preacher. You've got loved ones that need Christ. It ought to, it ought to burden your soul that you may have, the last time you saw them face to face might be the last time you ever get to see them face to face. You don't know. We better get busy about it because this may be the last opportunity we get. Some of you are planning to do great things for God. Great things. And I think that's wonderful. But I think there's a big difference between planning great things for God and doing great things for God. And there's a lot of people that say, and I, you know, I was a youth pastor for five years, so sometimes I preach it. I'll come over here and preach to the young people. And some of you young people, you want to do great things for God one day. You better get started now. You better get started giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ now. Because you don't know how long you have. Some of you older uh, people, I ain't going to say old folks, that's disrespectful, Ralph, but if you say older, that's okay. You know why? Because when we say older, everybody's thinking, oh, he ain't talking about me. <laughs> Some of you older folks, you're saying, well, you know, I'm going I'm to get back in. I'm going to start serving the Lord like I used to. You know, the devil doesn't get you 30 years at a time. Some of you that gave some, a lot of your life to the devil, you can testify to this. The devil didn't get you 30 years at a time. He got you a day at a time. All he has to do is put you off for tomorrow because tomorrow never comes. Put you off and put you off and put you off. Let me tell you, you better get busy serving Jesus Christ. Even if death doesn't come for you, you may not have long for this world. The Lord could come back at any single moment. Let me say, because it could be the last opportunity that we have. But let me say... Because our life's testimony could end at any moment. How will the Lord find you when He comes? I want to ask a question. I don't know anybody's heart in life. In fact, the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. In a sense, Brother Charlie, I don't even know my heart. And so I, I promise you this isn't pointed or directed, but let me just ask you something. Could it be you've got sins in your life nobody knows about? But God? And what's it going to be like if He comes back and He finds that sin in your life? What's it going to be like? What's it going to be like? You know what Paul said about the judgment? This is Paul. Now, this is Paul. We're not talking about the, the preacher down the road that, that, that fell out with his people. We're not talking about the fellow that gave up on ministry. We're talking about Paul. Paul said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know what he said? He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You believe what you want to. You can say, well, that's a different context, or he's talking about uh, the judgment of the lost. I'll tell you what I believe about it. I believe Paul was terrified to face Jesus Christ. Terrified. Listen to what else he said. He said, I was the chiefest of sinners. In fact, he said, I was less than the least of the apostles, and am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, and I laid waste to it. You know what Paul would have said? Paul would have said, i got a lot to answer for. i got a lot to answer for. You know, it's a blessed truth, though. Every bit of that can be under the blood. Every bit of it. The reason we don't get our lives straight is because we don't really believe he's coming back. We believe it academically, but we don't believe it effectually. Oh, we know that he could. We just don't believe he will. But one of these days, neighbor, you and I, we're going to get a big surprise because one day he will. Not just one day he could. One day he will. He will return. He will come back for us. It's as sure as anything when the worlds are on fire. The second coming of Jesus Christ will have been truer than the foundations of this world. He is coming back. He will come back. And it could happen at any single moment. 
I believe we ought to live in light of that. But let me give you a final thing, because he sees our life even as it is. You know, for the Lord to tell us to do something, that ought to be enough. That ought to be enough. I, mean, I understand that there's no single text doctrines in the Word of God. I understand that. I understand you don't take one passage of Scripture and use it to build a whole uh, theological system upon. I understand that. But can I say that just once ought to be enough of the Lord telling us to do something? That ought, that ought to be all it takes. I used to, my, my pastor used to always say, and he is nitpicking, but, but I kind of like this because I think it has infected our psyche. People say, God said it and I believe it and that settles it. No, neighbor, t- cut out the middleman. God said it and that settles it. Whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, neighbor, you can believe that the sun ain't going to shine tomorrow, but that won't change a thing about whether it will. He is coming back. And the Bible teaches that the Lord has commanded us to live waiting and watching. Let me make a statement that probably you've never considered. To live without a practical and effectual belief in the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be disobedient to Jesus Christ. To be disobedient. He said to watch and wait. He said to look. I think we've really done a disservice, Brother Ralph, because we talk about the Ten Commandments. And, and that's true. I understand the Ten Commandments. Actually, there are some 600-odd commandments in the Old Testament. But do you know that the New Testament has some commandments too? Uh, now, they're not ceremonial law commandments, but some things that God has commanded us to do. And uh, you've heard preachers preach, I'm sure, and talk about the Great Commission, say it ain't the Great Suggestion, it's, it's the Great Commission. But you know that every time God commands us to do something, the Word of God, that ought to become the rule of our life. That ought to become the practice of our life. And you can see it all through the Word of God, places that we don't even consider it to be a commandment, but God has commanded us to do something. The Bible teaches that we are commanded to live looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's not just that we're going to be sorry one day when He comes back if we don't do it. It's that we're committing sin even now if we don't do it. Why is it we don't have the power of God? Could it be because that's a sin in our life that we need to confess and repent of? Could it be because that's an area of our life that we refuse to submit to God because of how radically it will change our everyday existence? There's a lot of us. We'd throw a lot of things out of our house if we knew the Lord was coming over. We'd throw a lot of things out of our house if we knew the Lord was coming over. But we don't throw them away. You know why that is? We don't really believe He's coming. We don't really believe that. Oh, we know that. You know, we know, Ralph. I mean, if I was to ask everybody in this room, yes or no, is Jesus Christ coming soon? Everybody knows the Baptist answer, and they'd all sit down and they'd write yes. Some of you would even put an exclamation point because you're holy. Amen? You know, we'd write yes. And we've got it up here. But it's not up here that changes a man's life. It's when he gets it here. It's when he lives it. It's when it permeates and infects his life. That was the difference in them, Ralph. Paul knew, Paul knew that at any moment his life could change. Let me ask this question. Would you be satisfied with all you've done for Jesus Christ if he came back today? Let me ask you a better question. Do you think he'd be satisfied with all you've done for him if he came back today? You say, well, i got excuses. Well, that's just what they are. God's going to strike that judgment match and light fire to him. Wood, hay, and stubble, it'll be consumed. The excuses mean nothing. God's not interested in excuses. Let me tell you who's satisfied with excuses. The devil and carnal Christians are satisfied with excuses. 
There's the only two people. God's not interested in excuses. God knows what you're capable of, and God's given you all things that pertain unto life and godliness, and He expects you to live for Jesus Christ. He expects all of us to. So let me ask you this question. Do you think He'd be satisfied? If He put an end to your life right at this moment, do you think He'd be satisfied? And do you think you'd be able to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, Lord, I've done my best for you? I've done my best for you. Not, I've done some good things. There's going to be many in that day that are going to stand and have done good things for them and ain't even saved. Hey, Lord, we prophesy in thy name. We've cast out devils in thy name. He'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And there's a lot of Christians that are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And they're going to say, I've, I've lived for you. And he's going to say, how often? How much? I've given this illustration before, and I'm going to say this in hush. We'll close. But I imagine, maybe this is just my own imagination, Ralph. I, I don't find any Bible for this. Don't look for you'll tear your concordance to pieces trying to find the word calendar. Amen. But but I kind of imagine that one day when I stand before God, he's going to take a calendar out. You've seen them, the big desk calendars before. They're usually about, I don't know, that big. <laughs> and uh, they've got the 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 uh, dates on it and everything and the government holidays. And, and I kind of imagine myself standing before Jesus Christ. I saved as a 10-year-old boy. Let's say I lived to be 50. I don't expect that. I expect a church member to shoot me long before then. But let's say I make it to 50. And I've got 40 years of my life on a calendar before the Lord. And I can just imagine what my flesh will do, Ralph. I can just imagine that I'm going to point to that with pride. And I'm going to say, Lord, look at all these days that I've been saved and I've lived for you. And I kind of imagine the Lord taking out a, an ink pen and coming up and Xing out one of the days. I can see the surprise on my face as I say, Lord, why did you cross that day out? And he says, well, that was the day you went to church with your body, but you didn't go to church with your heart. And he comes by and he Xs another one off and he says, that was a day that you went, but your attitude was rotten. And he comes and maybe crosses a whole week off. And he says, that was a time when you had a fault with one of your brothers and sisters. And you wouldn't take your sacrifice and ask forgiveness of them before you came to my altar. And he takes and he crosses and crosses and crosses. Times that I said I was living for Jesus Christ. But I was just fooling myself. And before you know it, my life that I believe I've lived for him has dwindled. The Bible says something akin to that when it says that our life is like a foundation on Jesus Christ and we build thereupon. And there's a lot that we build thereupon that we think is substantial. We wouldn't build it if we didn't. We wouldn't build it if we didn't think it was right. You hearing me? We wouldn't build it if we didn't think it was worth building. And we build and we build and we build and we build. God's not going to take out a marker and mark off dates, but what He is going to do is set fire to our life. The Bible says there's two categories. There's gold, silver, all manner of precious stones. And then there's what the Bible calls wood, hay, and stubble. Nothing wrong with wood, hay, and stubble, except when it's taken the place of gold, silver, and precious stones. You know, you don't have to fill your life with trash to fill it with nothing. You can fill it with a lot of things that the world would count worthy. But compared to what we can be doing for Jesus Christ, they don't mean a thing. 
We've built it because we think it's something. We've built it because we think it matters. we built it because we think it's going to stand. But the problem is we've built on the temporal and we've not built on the eternal. And he sets fire to it. And the Bible says that all that's wood, hay, and stubble will be consumed in a moment. Consumed. All that's left is that which is eternal. That's all. The Bible says that the temporal things that are seen are just that. They're temporal. But those things which are not seen are eternal. Are you building your life on eternal things? Are you living your life with the second coming in in view? Are you living your life ready to meet Jesus Christ and to stand at the judgment seat? If you're not, I believe tonight would be a perfect night to turn your life around, give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. I believe tonight would be a perfect night. If you've got a problem with a brother or sister, tonight would be a perfect night to go to them first, then make your way to an altar and ask God's forgiveness. I think if you've got sin in your life, tonight would be a perfect night. I'm not your priest, I'm your preacher. You don't have to tell me what it is. But to get alone with the great high priest and ask for his forgiveness. I believe tonight would be a fine night to start living with eternity in view.